like what is the mindset difference that you see between something like New York and, and San Francisco? Yeah, and I don't just find it with film. Um, my fiance worked in the music industry back in New York for a long time, and I actually saw it even more in that industry. Mm. Um, there's just this enormity to being in New York City and to working in the arts and to being somebody. And one of the things that I hated most about trying to be a filmmaker in New York was that I was so concerned with being a filmmaker in New York and not actually about making content that I was proud of. And it took me a really long time to understand the difference. Because you can get an assistant job anywhere and work with celebrities and brag about it and go to parties at networks. Yeah. And so that's what I did for the first couple of years. Hmm. And then you stop and think, like, well, what is it that got me into this? Cause right. You know, I'm doing 14-hour days with all these celebrities and all these networks, but what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think that th- there's a culture in New York. Mm. And that's just, you know, I speak from my own personal experience. I was only there for five years. Yeah. Um, and they were right after college. So there's, you know, only so much that I can speak to. Mm-hmm. But I find a lot of the same things when I go and shoot in L.A., which I've been doing more of recently. There the personalities to keep up. It's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's mm-hmm. like everyone is trying to prove why they belong. Yeah. And in San Francisco, I don't think anyone cares. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that anyone's really trying to prove anything. Yeah. I think that people are just kind of going about their day, making art, making content, having fun with it. And you get more of those people, and you get a lot of people who want to help you here. Hmm. You know, and in, in New York, I felt like everyone was always fending for themselves. Yeah. You know, to find a mentor out hmm. there, to find someone to, you know, get you in. It was almost impossible because, you know, especially as a producer, there's only so many degrees of separation between being a PA, you know, a production coordinator, production manager, supervisor, yeah. right. and being a line producer or producer. And it's a really quick move up if you're good. Mm-hmm. And so fa- trying to find other producers to help you, you know, nurture that yeah. was almost impossible. You know, because the second you started to show potential, mm-hmm. you know, they do they <clears throat> just keep squashing you down so yeah. that you never got up. That's that, that moment where it's like you become competition and as opposed exactly. to yeah. Exactly. And I find so much less of that here. You know, I've had meetings with some really amazing indie film producers out in San Francisco. And, you know, I came to them kind of like, I want to learn more and I want to grow yeah. more. And, you know, their reaction was kind of been like, great, I've been looking for someone to teach. Yeah. You know, I've been looking for someone to pass the torch on to. Right. Um, which feels nice. And it doesn't have to be a big, crazy backstabbing game. Yeah. You know, it can mm-hmm. be more organic. It can be more human. I mean, that's that's for us, like, in our early years, you know, it's like, you know, for us, we started this business with no business background and a and a a small sense of how things should go. But it's like over time, we've been you know lucky enough to be you know work with different mm-hmm. you know producers or other people that are sort of you know it's like we we lovingly call them like the old timers you know but it's yeah. like people who've been around for a while you know it's like producers who have been doing this for you know 20 30 or more years yeah. and and who want to see that like mm-hmm. you know the the fresh blood come in sort mm-hmm. of thing you know mm-hmm. and, and i think part of it is that it there's that connection back to those roots too like why we Absolutely. all started doing this in the first place mm-hmm. um but you know it's like it's also that like 
from our perspective, it's just like, you know, teach us. Like, obviously, we don't know <laughs> everything that there is to know, and there's a lot of things that we just don't know what we're doing. So, you know, what I think it's the acceptance of that and the willingness to impart that kind of information. Absolutely. I mean, I really dread the day that I feel like I have nothing else to learn or nothing else to teach. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've really taken that um, from having so many other producers kind of try and keep me below them. I've really tried to um, nurture the PAs and coordinators that yeah. come my way because I love to teach and I love to pass it on. And there's so many tricks to the trade, especially in producing. Mm -hmm. It's all about tricks to the trade and it's all about networking and it's all about knowing how to run your show. Mm -hmm. And seeing it done is one thing, but seeing it done and then hearing why it worked and what could have gone better mm -hmm. is invaluable. And I was lucky enough to have a mentor like that for me back in New York, actually. Um, I found one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she really took me under her wing and did that for me. And and kind of created a space where I was allowed to mess up and it was okay and created a space where I was allowed to learn as I went and take chances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really owe a lot of what I've done since then to her because I had a safe place to learn and grow yeah. and fail. Yeah. And it's my goal now to, you know, even at the small level that I'm doing things on to, to find people who want that yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, there's there's so much work happening in San Francisco that there's so many opportunities to come be on a set and to see, you know, how it works and why it works and why producers do what they do when they do it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of been one of my goals since I feel like, you know, it took me a really long time to find someone who could do that for me. <laughs> yeah. What else do you think is really like like for you, what are the the like most important sort of like values or, or you know, like, uh, you know, just what's important in producing? I think that the number one biggest challenge and most important part of producing is always thinking 10 steps ahead of every aspect in every direction. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if you were to take a map and start drawing lines in every direction to try and think what could happen, mm -hmm. you know, I. I feel like I go into almost anxiety mode and pre-pro because you let your mind wander as to what, what could go wrong. What happens if it rains, right? Mm -hmm. What happens if we get called out on permits? Like, are they in shape? Yeah. You know, what happens X, Y, and Z? And when you can learn, I mean, you, you definitely learn which, which of those are possible and yeah. which don't really happen. Yeah. But I feel like once you kind of have all of those bases covered, you show up to set and you can pretty much anticipate anything. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good feeling to sit back, whether you're in a studio or you're on location, and to look out at everybody kind of working as a machine and knowing like there's nothing mm -hmm. that you can't handle within yeah. that machine. Yeah. If a part breaks, like you're covered. Yeah. yeah. And it's always nice on the shoots that you feel a little bit bored as a producer. Yeah. I was, was going to say, like, it's actually, it's going really well when you're bored. It's right? going really yeah. well when you're bored. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I definitely say, you know, being a real expert creative planner. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there was a time where I wanted to stray away from producing because it seemed so cut and dry and mm. logistical to me. And, you know, I, I never really considered myself like a numbers person or a strategy person. Mm -hmm. But 
if you're a really good producer, you know how to take all of those challenges and find like, creative solutions for them. Mm -hmm. You know, because especially like what we do, you know, we don't usually have all the money in the world to do them. Yeah. So you have to get creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely become, um, say, desensitized yes. <laughs> to a lot of crazy yeah. when you work in this industry, whether it be from like absurd talent to you know, people with egos or crazy requests or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. logistics yeah. Of, of directors have come to me with some really impossible things. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to, you just make it happen. You have yeah. to make it happen in the most creative, cost-efficient way. And right. if you can't, you have to know how to speak to a director. You need to know mm -hmm. the vernacular to say, you know, this is what's possible. This yeah. is what we can do to achieve what you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we might not be able to shut down half of Los Angeles <laughs> with one week's notice. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> and this is how we can fake it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that a good producer knows that line of communication with everybody involved as well. Because mm -hmm. so much does come at you that you need to problem solve. And so you need to know how to think like a DP, and yeah. you need to know how to think like a director, mm -hmm. and you need to know how to how to think like a sound mixer. I can't tell you how many producers forget how sound mixers process different things on set, and mm -hmm. it's, I sometimes feel like they get totally left out yeah. the equation. And you need to know how to think like a sound mixer. And I, you've also like I think even just going upwards as well. Like you've had experiences where you're working with you know, production and multiple agencies. So mm -hmm. you've got all sorts of different levels of voices and input and people thinking about different concerns and, and, and problems. And it's actually a really interesting thing because I'll get off a call with agency or client and you talk about the project in a very specific way with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you hit target points and you break things down in a very business type sense. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go communicate that to a crew. Yeah. And immediately <laughs> you have to just like switch your brain and start talking about it in this whole other way yeah. that agency could have never understood. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting dance, especially on tighter deadlines where you're doing that three or four times a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, trying to get, you know, the people who consider themselves creatives, and yes, they're creatives, but they're doing it in a very different capacity as yeah. part of the client um, to make sense of what the DP has to do and mm -hmm. what the director has to envision for this. Yeah, absolutely. It's like two different languages. I, we were on a conference call a long time ago uh, with a client for a project, and we made the mistake of mentioning the camera that we were going to use. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it, 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 at a certain point, it was like, that just spiraled out of control, and we're all sitting on the call with our head in our hands being like, why did we do this? Because they're talking about the difference between cameras, and it's like, from their perspective, it doesn't matter because no. the nuance from one from a red to an Alexa to no. a whatever else is not going to mean anything. In this situation. In this situation, yeah. you know? And, and, you know and, and then you have to understand that it's like, well, those kind of decisions are, are going to, you know, be in the hands of a DP or someone who's going to understand really... How, how that how the tool is going to translate to really what they're asking yeah. for, you know? Um, so, I mean, how, going back, like, how, mm -hmm. how did you get into this? Like, how did you yeah. get into film, and also how did you, like, figure out this role? Yeah. Um, so, 
I started making short films as a kid and, you know, writing screenplays as a kid, you know, as early as you know, elementary school. And my high school just happened to have a film program um, and a creative art art and creative writing program. Cool. So I started submitting to film festivals not knowing that it was like a thing that people did outside of high school. And my biggest issue then was not being able to stick with stories. It was something I always used to get yelled at. Mm. Um, so I was graduating college and nobody told me that there was this thing called film school mm. that you could go to. And everyone just kept saying, Lauren, Lauren, you're a writer, you're a writer. Hmm. You know, you get C's in math, so you're a writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, go to school for writing. Yeah. And so I did. I went hmm. to college for writing and philosophy. Okay. I double majored. And I think, like, even at that point, you could see that I was really trying to figure out the world around me mm-hmm. and how to talk about it. Um, was this in New York or Boston? This was back home in, in Boston. Yeah. And by the time I graduated, I was like, okay, well, I have to do something with all of this. So I started a career as a journalist right out of school. Okay. Um, And I worked at the NBC affiliate in Boston at WHDH. Um, I tried to get a job at NPR, and so I started doing um, news writing for radio, and I was doing print writing, and writing 24 hours a day for all these different outlets. And... You know, one day that it dawned on me that, you know, being a news anchor would only take me so far. Hmm. And I kind of just packed up my bags and moved to New York City. Um, Didn't know a person or didn't really have any of it figured out. Um, And got a job at a talent agency because I figured it would be the best place to kind of figure it out. And I didn't want a PA. (laughs) Um, And... I would actually recommend to anyone who's interested in working in production to, to be an assistant at a talent agency because hmm. you learn so much. It's insane. It's the hardest, most thankless job. Um, you're working with cranky agents. <laughs> you know, you're working with really insecure talent, yeah. uh, which is something that I didn't know that, you know, actors can be so insecure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing so, ma- so many of them. So many yeah. of them, yeah. 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 And... You know, I started working with other producers for their needs for talent. And it dawned on me, like, I should be the producer. Mm. I should be doing this. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, I just started working more and more with talent and started directing some of their voiceover reads and and really honing in on what part of it I liked. Mm -hmm. Um, And got really lucky. The New York City Ballet had a post opening for an in-house producer and I figured with 20 years of dance, if I'm going to get a one shot somewhere, it's going to be at like an art institution. You know, mm-hmm. maybe they won't notice that I'm not a real producer. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I took that job and it totally, it changed my world. Um, that's where I met Ellen Barr, my mentor. Um, and she really taught me the importance of taste mm-hmm. and the importance of being a creative producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what that role can mean and where it can take you to. Talk about that because that's something that's really it's it's such an intangible thing, mm. taste. Yeah, and it's it's definitely like like there's a there's a way of describing it that can sound really like 
you know, pompous or egotistical mm -hmm. or something, but it is hugely important and it, it's, the, it's one of the just biggest discerning factors around good work. Mm -hmm. um, just what is, what is it for you? What does that mean? What does taste mean? I remember the first time I noticed that that was important. And I remember looking at a cut that we had worked on on like a really short dance doc and thinking we were done. And I had gone through a lot of levels of post and we had original, you know, composition on it. And I was kind of packing up on that job and my superior, Ellen, watched the same cut and she had all of these notes that I just didn't see. Mm. And I was really confused and thinking, is she trying to find something wrong? You know, what am I not seeing? And then I saw those notes addressed mm -hmm. in the next cut, and it was the final cut. And I just, I remember that moment of, wow, you know, how do I learn to see these things? How do I learn to get that, that good taste? Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot from working with someone that was so good mm -hmm. at having good taste, um, I got to see a lot of that. I kind of got to see what was working and what wasn't working and what made something beautiful, mm -hmm. what made something cheesy, yeah, yeah. Um, and what made something really real and honest. Mm -hmm. And I started really trying to practice in all of the different revisions of every project that I'd done for the next two years of really focusing on my taste and everything that went into it. The sound design of the color correction, mm -hmm. you know, and especially of the storyline um, and the shots that were there. And I would definitely say that, you know, having good taste is one of the best marks of a really good filmmaker. Um, and I think that it's something that we'll always strive to be better at. And I think that you can say that about every person in every department on a film set. You know, we're all working to have better taste. No, absolutely. You have worked on a lot of, uh, you know, dance projects and, and, you know, at some point it's sort of like how that, how that gets categorized as like art film versus mm -hmm. commercial or whatever. But what... I don't know, like talk about that a little bit because it, it seems like a very different set of challenges to produce something like that. So I remember when I was leaving New York City Ballet um, to come out here to San Francisco and knowing that I wanted to be a freelancer, thinking to myself, all right, no matter what you do, don't take any jobs in the arts. Because <laughs> if you do that there, you're going to start to, you know, put yourself in a corner and no one will ever hire you for anything else. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard to break out of a role of just being a producer for the arts. Mm -hmm. And those were the calls that I was getting um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And it took a bit in working in commercials and industrials to realize how beautiful of an opportunity actually is to be able to produce for the arts. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think because that's what I had known so much of, I was so anxious to get out of it and prove myself as a real producer who can do, you know, real commercials or real, you know, indie films. And, <laughs> and it's silly to think about because you look back and you say, wow, I made art about an art. Mm -hmm. you know, for years. And and so now I try to take on more of it and I, you know, work with the ballet here and 
have started branching out to working with the symphony and different chamber music groups because expressing their art through your art mm -hmm. is something so special and so delicate and so beautiful yeah. um, that I'm actually really proud now that that's something that is, you know, in my reel and on my repertoire and and something that I know how to do. Yeah. Um, I've stopped fighting it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think do you think there was uh like how much of a benefit do you think it was to put it down a little bit when you were first here? Like do you think the aversion to taking it on helped you appreciate it more? Yeah, I think that if I had never branched out from it, I would have just got really comfortable. Mm. In, in producing for dance and I would have never, I would have hidden behind it. Yeah. And I think even now as a producer with a lot more experience, there's so much that I'm scared of to take on next. Mm. And I'm learning to embrace that fear and, and put myself out there more and go for those really scary jobs that Sometimes I feel like I have no business being in, and mm. I think it's because I originally stepped out of my comfort zone, mm -hmm. you know. And now I can look back on all of those dance jobs and everything and be really excited because when something really cool comes up here, I'm the perfect person to be on it, and that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's really kind of taught me that it's okay to be scared and it's okay to challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know, you should never be ashamed of what you've been working on. You know, it's all leading to the next thing. It's such a funny thing because it's like. I don't know that I that idea of being ashamed of working on something that you really love. It's like there's something it's it's not always shame, but it's also like yeah. you feel weird about it. It's like take me seriously as a filmmaker, right? You know, that's what everyone wants. That's yeah. what everyone's like secretly hoping for. Mm -hmm. And if all you can come to the table is like one thing, yeah. you know, you get really nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, is this going to be enough? Yeah. Or are you just going to see me as, you know, the producer who can do this one thing? Absolutely. And I think that all crew members must feel that way. Mm. You know, whether you're just working on documentaries or you're just working on narrative shorts, there's there's a part of you that wants to be so well-rounded and so impressive that people take you seriously. Yeah. And I think that it's something that you have to go through um, mm -hmm. early on when you're trying to figure out your place in the film landscape. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something that we all have to kind of learn on our own and make peace with and eventually learn to embrace. I think there's, and there's so much trust that has to come with that too from the, from the outside as well. Like yeah. to be able to do something that is unknown outside your comfort zone, not in your, you know, literal wheelhouse, you know. Um, mm -hmm. but then at the same time, it's like committing to taking that leap is absolutely necessary and I think that secretly as filmmakers that leap is what we live for mm -hmm. and it's what scares the crop out of us yeah. <laughs> you know every time I take on something new I, I think to myself what am I doing I have no business taking on something this big <laughs> or this different or I've yeah. never done anything like this and you know you just have to pull yourself back and think this leap is is why I do it yeah. <laughs> this leap is what I've been waiting for and, and there's the threshold afterwards that I feel like is so, like, you hit a point where you do a crazier project and you realize how it didn't phase you like you thought it would have, you know? It's sort of like, wow, exactly. that was not as insane as the last time we did it, and that was a smaller thing, you know? It's just, that, like, exactly. appreciating that moment, too, you know? Yeah, and kind of like what I was saying before, like, giving yourself the moment 
to allow allow that sense of gratitude yeah. you know that you pulled it off that you didn't burn the studio down like whatever it is yeah. <laughs> however small it is <laughs> you know i think that that moment of gratitude is another thing that makes us tick mm-hmm. um and i know especially for me it's really easy to be hard on yourself and yeah. you know I, I have to pull myself out of it sometimes yeah. you know if one thing doesn't go perfect on set sometimes you you convince yourself that you didn't prep hard enough or yep. if you had just spent three more hours last night, this wouldn't happen. And you have to let it go and you yeah. have to find that place of gratitude. Yeah, but so, so much of that is also just because we care, you know? I think that's part of the being hard on yourself and, and you know, like having it be scary as well. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I don't think that I'd be up at night, you know, freaking out if I was like an accountant or a yeah. lawyer. Like, I don't yeah. think I'd care. It's, Another reason why I'm, like, not a competitive sports player, but extremely competitive at dance. Because I just don't care about kickball. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of kind of, like, challenges and and that sort of taking leaps, is there something out there that, you know, you haven't done that you would be interested in doing as, like, either, like, a challenge or just, yeah, just doing something you've never done before? Yeah, um, I've actually started taking a really scary leap um, that, and I say scary, I mean like have dreaded this moment for the past three years and have finally made, you know, came to the piece to do it. And I was working on a decent amount of indie features Mm -hmm. and have since kind of not had as many opportunities and it kind of became apparent to me that to really be a filmmaker who cares about making content, it's time to make my own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that every filmmaker comes to terms with at yeah. some point. Yeah. So I've been writing a feature over the past couple of years awesome. um, and workshopping it through different writing programs. Very cool. And have I finally met um, the most incredible writing mentor, Chandra Castleton, who's working with me um, not only on my feature but on a short. Um, to start submitting to different programs Mm -hmm. um, for women directors and women writers and just writing in general. Um, And my hope would be in the next year to make that short, Mm -hmm. you know, and as part of something to hopefully be bigger. But I think kind of just doing it and making yourself doing it and putting yourself out there and scaring the crap out of yourself, you know, it's, that's that's the next step, and it's the scariest next step I've ever taken. At this point, are you how how are you seeing this journey? Is it is it? Are, I'm just writing right now. I'm not even mm-hmm. thinking about production. Mm-hmm. Or are you like are you kind of folding some of that in? What, what's what's yeah, your how do you process? balance the like writer brain with the producer? Yeah, brain? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't think that I'll ever be able to turn the producer brain off. Yeah. It's like an addictive part of my personality now. Yeah. It's like I produce everything in my world. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, there have been times that, you know, Chandra will say like maybe you need to add an exterior here and the producer and me was like, well, no, this is a short I'm going to make. So, like, I know that's going to be an extra day. So I'm, I'm going to take that scene out. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but, you know, there are, there are also times that I have to just allow the fact, you mm-hmm. know, that the best way to get this will have to you know, be on a crane or something really expensive. And I tell the producer part of me that that's, like, 
you know, my producer's problem or, you know, <laughs> or, or future Lauren's problem yeah. um, and just kind of let myself creatively get through it. Yeah. And there's going to be so many rounds of revisions before this actually happens sure, that, yeah. Yeah. you know, I can kind of go through it and see what's yeah. realistic. 